Hey, this is Evan Mark Katz, dating coach for smart, strong, successful women, your personal trainer for love. Welcome to the Love You podcast. I'm really excited. I'm digging on my new format, and today we're going to be talking about a number of things, but very specifically the secrets of male desire. Although, let's be honest, it's not that much of a secret. There are some interesting things, however, that I want to discuss, and we're going to be getting to that in the second half of our podcast. Uh, first, I want to begin, and I'm going to, again, I'm playing with the structure. Uh, I'm going to begin with what we will call uh, a Love You Insight. Uh, love You Insight is going to be, I don't know, five, ten minute rant uh, uh, that I'm going to go on every week based on something that I talked about in a in a uh, group coaching call where I learned something that I think is worth sharing with you um, here on my social media. And here's where we're going to begin to get. Basically, it's really lonely out there. And people tend not to want to admit that. Um, and listen, I'm not telling you that if you're single that you're, you have to be lonely and that married people are, have it all figured out. It's not the story that I'm, I'm taking. But I will say, in general, when I talk to women on the phone who are applying to love you, there's absolutely a common denominator. Keep themselves very, very busy. Uh, out of desire, inertia, it almost doesn't matter, but fill up your life with work, friends, family, nieces and nephews, travel, hobbies and interests. And this is what you should do. This is a rich, full, single life. And in a quiet moment, when your head hits the pillow, most of the women, the ones who turn to me, there are plenty of people who don't turn to me, but the ones who do recognize that they're lonely, that something is missing, that they want more. Perhaps you could identify Someone else in the world gets to have love. Why not me? Why is this so hard? Right? And we compartmentalize and we tell ourselves that everything's okay because we've got so many things going on and it is okay. But I can't think of too many people who would rather be alone than with a partner who loves them unconditionally. So given that emotional state, right, what happens? We date online, on and off, we come and go. It's frustrating. You know it's frustrating. I know it's frustrating. Most guys are losers or players or liars or beneath your standards and inconsistent and flaky. And I don't need to tell you your life experience. But then you find someone that you dig. He's a cute stranger. You met him online. And unlike everything else, which is just like texting hell, right? And everybody knows, again, I don't have to describe the condition of what it's like to be a, a woman dating in the 21st century on dating apps. Finally, you find someone that you kind of click with and everything seems great. And because everything seems great and the previous experience has sucked, right? your basic online dating experience with guys churning in and out, you immediately anchor onto this one guy. And the next thing you know, you sleep with him on the, the third date, which is perfectly fine. There's no you know, uh, judgment around doing so. I spent plenty of time doing similar things back when I was single sleep with someone on the third date, immediately find yourself in a situation where you are really happy that he's in your life. You're really excited about the future this promises. You are, he's texting you regularly. You're having probably weekly sex. Um, and you focus all your attention on this guy. Why shouldn't you focus all your attention on this guy? He's the, he's the leader. He's the guy that you want to be your boyfriend. Um, Here's where it goes awry. And perhaps you've seen this before. Just because you're really excited about a guy, he's really excited about you and you're sleeping together, 
doesn't mean a lot of things. It doesn't mean he's your boyfriend. It doesn't mean he wants to be your boyfriend. It doesn't mean he's emotionally available for relationship. It doesn't mean he ever wants to get married. All those things that we associate with the excitement of the new relationship, that intense connection where we dive into bed with someone and keep our fingers crossed, right? none of it actually tells you anything about your future, where you're going in five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Right? All it does, does is let you know, oh my God, this is a wonderful feeling. This is a great connection. I want to cultivate this. I want more of it. So it functions more like a drug. Right? So now we are on a drug. It's called chemistry, dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, pheromones, oxytocin coursing through your body, and you're trying to keep an even keel. But you basically made a bet on something you can't control. And it's not really a bet because you can't, because you can't control it. It's basically, I hope, I hope, I hope that this guy turns out to be better than the rest. That would be fine. As I said, there's no judgment about the fact that everybody does this. But what's your track record on that? How many of those bets have paid off where you sleep with a guy on a third date and here you are listening to me right now, 20 years later in your happy marriage because that bet panned out? My guess is if you're listening, that bet has never panned out. And yet we keep on making the same bet. Right? And this is the hard part. There's no judgment of you. I try not even to judge him. You may judge him. How dare a guy sleep with me if he has no interest in getting married? How dare a guy sleep with me and keep his options open by keeping his, his profile online? But remember, even if you're 100% right, and if I could you know, wag my finger at men everywhere and tell them, you should never sleep with anybody that you don't have the purest intentions with, it wouldn't change reality. So that's why I always give the onus to you instead of yelling at men who are not listening to me, I put the onus on you to try not to sleep with men unless you feel really, really secure in the fact that you're building a relationship. So what we do inadvertently out of our loneliness, out of our need, out of our desire for connection, for intimacy, for touch, we hop into bed with strangers. We get into what are now known as situationships right, that aren't actual relationships. And you don't get to renegotiate that contract, unfortunately. If he just wants to sleep with you once a week and keep his options open and date online, you're just sort of hoping, despite all evidence that three months from now of, of sleeping with him, he may decide to cut everybody else off. Where in my history as a man and as a coach, that's usually not what happens. It does happen. There's, there's examples of it happening. There's, there's examples of everything happening. Um, you could sleep with a guy in a, in, in a bathroom stall on a first date in a bar and marry him. I still wouldn't recommend it as a course of action, but you can. Right. So here's where it even gets trickier. The longer you spend with him, right, the more you fall for him, the deeper you invest with him, the harder it is to divest from him. Right. If that was catchy, I'd have turned it into the title of this podcast. But the summation is the more you invest, the harder it is to divest. It's harder to get out of a relationship when you've put in three or four months of dinner and opening your heart and sex and connection and intimacy and hope and feelings. And there's a love you saying that I, I utilize all the time. 
no man is real until he's your boyfriend. He's just hope, fantasy, projection, and potential. Hope, fantasy, projection, and potential. That's what you put onto some guy with a connection on the third date. And then your strategy is basically keeping your fingers crossed that he wants the same thing that you do. And that always puts you in that intern position rather than the CEO position. You're waiting to be chosen rather than deciding whether he is good enough to be your boyfriend. And that's the power we give away by sleeping with guys too quickly. And I say that again without any moral judgment, but you could see this is a theme. This is really important. To do this right, you want to get the order right. Because the hardest thing to do, and I get clients like this, Evan, I've been sleeping with a guy for the past five months. He's not my boyfriend. I, I, I like you. I want to join Love You. But, um, you know, I, I kind of have this guy in my life. And so how can I make him? How can I make him my boyfriend? And the thing is, you can't make someone your boyfriend. That's a job that men do by their own volition. It's something they choose to do because they want to. Right? They don't need to be prodded or cajoled or have their arm twisted. They don't really need to be given ultimatums. Right? And you've had a guy like you before. How long did it take for a guy who really liked you to want to become your boyfriend? Usually it's like a date or two. At the latest, six weeks. <laughs> That's what they do when they are really interested in you. When they're not really interested in you, they'll sleep with you as long as you let them. They'll be really nice to you. They'll treat you well. They're protecting their investment. And all the time you're getting emotionally hooked on someone who's never going to step up to the plate. How do I know he's not stepping up to the plate? He hasn't done so yet. He's not about to. And yet the longer time you spend with him, the harder it is to see that. I've talked to women who've been seeing guys for nine months who aren't their boyfriend. And I've been doing this for 20 years. And so I could say definitively, I have never, 20 years of coaching, had a client who came to me with a man who ended up with the man that she came to me with. Never. If you're listening to me right now and you're looking for dating advice, chances are the guy you're seeing right now is not your future, future husband, right? Because if everything was really, really good, you're probably not seeking too much advice because you're feeling safe, heard, and understood. He's talking about a future. He's doing everything right. When people seek dating advice, it's because something's not working. This is usually the thing that's not working. You're banking on potential based on his connection rather than his actions. Is this guy quickly escalating the relationship and taking this to a place where I believe I can let down my guard and trust and know that we want the same things out of life? So instead of continuing to do that and hoping that your finger crossing strategy is going to get you across the finish line, you're going to be better served to audition guys for the role of being boyfriend instead of getting yourself into a situationship, which statistically speaking, from my perspective, has a very low percentage chance of paying off, no matter how good it feels at the outset. Got it? Good. So now I want to talk about something that I do on my coaching calls. Um, you guys are not part of Love You yet, but, but um, I've been doing Love You since 2016. Um, every week I've got a whole bunch of women on Zoom. They're, they're the best of the best. That's how they end up there. And um, we do a, a, a monster coaching call. It's like a two-hour uh, live party every week where we, we, we put women in breakout rooms and we share uh, small wins and we do a live Q&A and people talk in the chat and they become friends outside of class. It's a really, really amazing place. 
Um, but I thought it was worth bringing the concept of small wins to you here. I won't explain it every week, but the concept of a small win is that people tend to look for the big wins right, and not always recognize that the small wins are what make up the big win. People come and they're, they're like, I want, I want a boyfriend. I want a husband. Right? They're looking at the very end state. And really what gets you to the end state are doing a hundred little things along the way, right? That show you that you're on the right track. It would be like saying, I want to take a pill to lose a hundred pounds. Of course you want to take a pill to lose a hundred pounds, but that is more of a process than something that we arrive at instantly. So in Love You, we spend every week celebrating women's small wins. And usually I get like a, a dozen people to just tell me their small wins. I figured I'd write a few of them down for you so you could see what a small win looks like in your life so that you can be sure that you're on the right track, whether or not you're in love with me right now or not. So here's, some, here's a small win from just one woman. And these are her words about what she did in the past week that let her know that she's on the right track to find a great relationship. She says, number one, she's back to funneling. She had gotten over a situationship, right? Took some time to mourn, put her profile back up, right? And in Love You, we call it the funnel. There's all the guys and how do we weed them out to find the good ones? So she said, she's back to funneling instead of sitting on the sidelines, licking her wounds. She said she's got new profile photos that she took. I always recommend professional photographers that, that, that I know because um, those are really stand out. If you really want to stand out online, it's a small investment you can make to stand out from the crowd. So she invested in pro uh, professional photographers. And she says here, I don't know why I put it off for a month because now that she's back to online dating with her professional photos, these are her words, not mine. Oh my God, there are so many great men out there. And if I say that and it sounds to you like, seriously, have you seen what's out there? This is a very, very typical love you experience. People are convinced that online dating sucks, men suck, their area sucks. And then I say, hey, go through this process with me. Take all these tiny little steps and you're going to have completely different dating and online dating experience. And this is sort of exhibit A of that. So instead of licking her wounds for three months or six months after some guy broke her heart, she waited a month, new pictures, went online, half hour a day, right? And now she's seeing great men everywhere. So that's the love you small win for the week. Now, I don't know if it's the moment you've been waiting for, but it's certainly the title of today's podcast. Um, and we're going to do this every week. Uh, this is my recommended read for the week. It comes courtesy of an article that was in uh, Substack newsletter, but I think it's publicly available. Uh, you could find it in the show notes. I hope if we're doing our job, we put the, the link to the article in the show notes, which will make everything I say make much more sense. Um, the URL is ofboysandmen.substack.com. And this is uh, a newsletter written by a gentleman named Richard Reeves. Um, I read his book. Uh, it's called Of Boys and Men, uh, and it's about the crisis of, of men and masculinity, specifically in the United States. And I know as a woman, that may not have as much resonance with you as it has for me, but I think it's important that we talk about it because if you're a heterosexual woman, problems with men are going to affect you. And you could already see how it's affecting you in your love life. If you perceive that there's uh, low caliber men out there, that is how the crisis of men affects you, even if you're super feminist. So um, uh, 
the theme is the secrets of male desire. And he wrote a really uh, interesting piece. And I just want to piggyback on his piece, read a couple excerpts and riff off of it for a second. Um, let's start off with this. The secret to male desire is testosterone. And there's, there's uh, every book I've ever read on these topics, um, people tend to get to turn everything into something that's political. And I don't really don't want to do anything political. Uh, the best book I've read ever read on um, behavior and psychology is a book called Behave by Robert Sapolsky. And he, like most people say, it's pretty much a 50-50 split between genetics and environment, right? how people show up in the world. And that makes a certain amount of sense to me. But we can't discount one or the other. They both matter. And so every piece of advice that I give, give you comes through this lens. It's the 50-50. What are the things that we're focusing on? What are the things that we're missing? Um, Carol Hooven wrote a book last year, two years ago, called Testosterone, um, the story of the hormone that dominates us and divides us. I also read that book. Uh, I, I do take my job seriously, even though it's a made-up job. Um, and basically, she's a, she's a, I think maybe she's a primatologist. She's a, she works at Harvard and she basically focused on what does testosterone do to the human body? What does it do for men? How does this manifest in animal species? And what she discovered is that sure enough, testosterone makes a big difference in how people act in life. Testosterone is what makes men more aggressive. It's what allows them to initiate sex. It's what allows them to rape. It's what allows them to murder. It's why men fight. It's why men hit each other. It's why men like contact sports. It's part of why men don't communicate as well um, uh, uh, verbally as women do. Women are much more relational in general. And all of these things are things that you can notice. So in saying this thing about testosterone, I'm, I'm not one to, you know, to equivocate, right? All of this is not a rationalization or a justification for men being violent or men raping or anything like that. Right? It's an observation that if you have to picture in your mind a rapist or a murderer, you're probably not going to picture a woman. That is not a coincidence. Right? That is probably biological. Now, there's sociological reasons that people are pretty messed up and there's too many guns. We could get into that. But there's absolutely a biological component to all of this. So there's a biological component to sex as well. Um, according to Richard Reeves in his Substack, right, and this is, this is a riff off of his, his book, which I also read of Boys and Men, he writes this, and I will read it verbatim. As a matter of biological fact, men are just lustier than women. A comprehensive review of 150 studies found overwhelming evidence that men have a higher sex drive, reflected in spontaneous thoughts about sex frequency and variety of sexual fantasies, desired frequency of intercourse, desired number of partners, masturbation, liking for various sexual practices, willingness to forego sex, initiating versus refusing sex, making sacrifices for sex, and other measures. In other words, men tend to be more sexually focused. That is frustrating. Right. Now, you may be into sex and value good sex and might want it more than previous boyfriends. That doesn't take away from this idea that men view sex through a different lens because they have testosterone, just as you wouldn't expect a man to understand your lived experience as a woman, which would make perfect sense. How could he understand your lived experience of, as a woman? 
Right? So part of his lived experience, right, if yours is that you've been objectified as a woman, his is men almost can't help objectifying women. Again, not an excuse for terrible behavior, but men view the world through a different prism. It's no surprise that's where all the porn comes from. It's because guys want it. There's a demand for it. That's why it exists so greatly. So um, like all distributions between the sexes, the distributions overlap. And as I said, I really want to avoid controversy because I want to give good information here so you as a woman can understand right, what I call reality-based dating coaching, how things are, not how I want them to be, not how you want them to be, just looking at the world through a very clear lens. And so let's look at distribution curves. Um, uh, for the YouTube channel, I'm going to use my hands a lot because I always use my hands a lot. For audio, you're just going to have to picture this. Right? But if you know what a bell curve looks like, there's two overlapping sort of mountains. Right? Those are the bell curves for men and women, at least when it comes to sex. But it comes to lots of things. We could look at the bell curves for height. Right? The average man is five foot nine. The average woman is five foot four. Okay, so are men in general taller than women? Yes. Can you? Can I show you a five foot eleven and a five uh, five foot eleven woman and a five foot seven man? Yes. So those things could be true true simultaneously. The same thing goes for sex. It's not that women are not interested in sex or don't want to initiate or don't want multiple partners. It's that men want it in general more. So that's the way we have to look at this topic. There was a study years ago that I cited on my, my blog. Uh, I, I, I didn't bother to go through my blog history to find it. I got a thousand articles on there, but it linked to a study that showed that men value the sexual variety more and women va value the, the Variety of people is what men valued. Women va valued variety in circumstances. Women wanted their, their loving partners to mix things up. They wanted to role play. They wanted to do things outside. They wanted to try different positions. There was definitely a, a level of curiosity who, um, for, for more sexual diversity within a relationship. But men could be content having missionary sex with a new woman every night and they'd be perfectly happy because the variety of people is more thrilling to him than the variety of activity, right, is what the study says. And so we're explaining this just as a means to help you understand why you observe the behaviors that you observe in men. Right? So this is a minefield. This whole topic is a bit of a, of a minefield because there's many ways, and you've experienced them no doubt, that immature men, especially immature men, young men, 15 to 30, driven by high testosterone and low social awareness, channel this intense sexual desire improperly. Right? And that's, that, that, that again, you, you, don't, you need eyes to know this. Right? Who, picture the person who's, you know, who's lewdly hitting on you at a bar, the guy who theoretically catcalls you, the guy who sends a, a, a dick pic. Right? It's not that it couldn't happen, with a 60-year-old guy, because I got clients in their 60s and this stuff still happens, it's that it's going to happen a lot less, right? Because a lot of guys don't have a handle on a positive form of masculinity. They haven't figured out how to channel their sexual desires, which are sometimes lean towards the um, inappropriate and do a better job with it. So women get to experience awful things online. And unfortunately, as a male coach for women, I've been privy to many of the things that I've heard my clients experience from men uh, where there's no defense. It's not like, oh, there's a biological defense. These are really, really 
bad guys. Um, but on top of that, it's only a small percentage of guys that are really bad guys. Right? There's, there's studies on that too, in, in terms of you know, the percentage of people who've been sexually assaulted. It's not like, you know, 50%, you know, it's not like if 25% of women have been sexually assaulted, it's not 25% of men doing it. It's closer to 1% of men who are serial bad actors, right? That tarnish the reputations of the vast majority of men. And these are really complicated ideas to, to, to wrap our, our heads around, which is why I like the longer form podcast to be able to say the long version of it rather than the TikTok version of it. So now let's get to desire, right? Um, Me Too was a huge necessary correction for men to realize the things that they were doing that were highly inappropriate that women didn't approve of and didn't talk about it. And so there's really important consequences to that. I remember writing uh, an article about that on my blog when that first came out that kind of went viral and I was invited to be on a CNN panel for sexual harassment. It was it was like it was like a whole thing. I'm I'm not an important player in that story, but I spent a lot of time thinking about it, a lot of time reading about it, and so we're at this conundrum where women, men don't know always know how to express their desire in a healthy fashion that is approved by women, which is true, and women really want to be desired. And that was something that I didn't fully, when you talk about understanding the opposite sex and understanding how men view, view the world through the lens of sex, one of the things that I don't think men understand about women right, is how much desirability is built into being a woman. I, whether it's biological or sociological, I'm not even going to begin to, to, to fathom a guess. But I can't tell you how many women have told me the pain of not being desired, of being passed up by cute guys on dating sites, of having their husbands turn away from them, right? As they got older, as they got heavier, right? Women feeling invisible on the other side of 40, on the other side of 50, where people don't even look twice at them anymore when they used to be desired. As a man, I don't understand what that's like. And never Desirability was never something that I fixated on as a man. I didn't think I could do much about that. I wasn't the guy who was going like, to work out to make myself more desirable. <laughs> There's guys who do that. But I, men don't view the world through, through, through that lens because women also don't view men through that lens. They're more concerned whether you're going to be intelligent, whether you're charismatic, whether you are a leader, and whether you can make a living and support a family. Those are the things women tend to be more interested in. So that's where men focus their efforts. So women focus their efforts on desirability and then find out when the desirability is going away that it's really, really painful. So it's all very, very complicated. And so we, we reach this point where women want to be desired, right? Men have all this pent up testosterone and don't know the proper way to desire women because we're different and we don't agree on things. And we're really, again, looking for that point in the Venn diagram where we could, where we can agree, where we can find something that actually works, where men and women can find a flow for how a man can approach a woman and she could feel comfortable with it and good about it and allow things to escalate. Right? And so we're at a point in time right now where the rules are being rewritten and I don't know that anybody knows the answer. Right? I think like everybody else, I like my take on it, but my take was formed, you know, when I was growing up, 
right? I'm not necessarily 1980s uh, porkies. That's not exactly my take on uh, appropriate male-female relationships. But um, when I was in college in, in, in the 90s, um, it was pretty expected that a man would ask out a woman. Uh, a man would um, lead into kiss if, you know, there was that, that, that pregnant pause on, on the date and they leaned in and he would lean in to kiss and um, he would make moves to go from first base to second base to third base based on what she will allow him to do, right? And she'd stop him and maybe he'd try again and then she would stop him and he would take no for an answer. And it was largely nonverbal thing. This is a, this is a different world right now where because of the bad behaviors of men and rewriting these rules, a lot of guys don't know what to do, how to do it, right? And so it, it's, it's kind of paralyzing because if there's no healthy way, way for men to express desire without, you know, uh, being, you know, if you, you go to kiss someone and you're labeled a, you're labeled a, a sexual assaulter uh, for not asking permission first, because that's her rule and she's entitled to that rule. And we don't all agree on the rules. It just becomes really complicated. Right? And this is what Reeves was, was writing about. And I encourage you to click on that link and read his substack. Here's the money quote. As boys become men, they learn how to read the cues of women for signs of interest or disinterest. They learn how to approach respectfully and appropriately. They learn how to gracefully accept no for an answer. And they learn that rejection is an inescapable part of the enterprise. These are hard-won skills and ones we need to help all boys and men develop. But we won't do that by denying the reality of male sexual desire in the first place, or by only equipping boys and men with a long list of don'ts, right? important that those are, though those are, without some do's as well. So this is right, another married man sociologist, his plea to say, hey, it's okay if we want to do a correction from the excesses of what men have done, right? the abuse of their, their privilege or their power or their cluelessness, right? The, the viewing everything through the lens of sex to the point that women are feeling uncomfortable. But it's really easy to say, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to do. What's a better way for men to do it? Do you like affirmative consent? Do you want a guy to say, may I kiss you? May I unhook your bra? May I? If you do, then that's your level. A lot of guys, um, certainly older guys, will be a little confused by that, which doesn't make it wrong. It just makes it a little trickier. If you don't like that affirmative consent model and the, and the, the sort of negotiation, then there has to be sort of a, a feeling out process, where, where, which again is the thing that existed, you know, uh, certainly when I was growing up, that doesn't make every man who oversteps his boundaries wrong, right? Wrong. Um, but rather it becomes an opportunity for him to learn how to approach sex when it comes to women. Again, I know we're really getting into the weeds on this one, but because I think it's such a nuanced topic and it's so subjective what people like, uh, that it's worth exploring this in long form. So here's what it's like to be a guy. Right. And again, I know I always sound like a mansplainer. It's because I'm a male dating coach for women. Women ask me to explain what are guys thinking. So I'm explaining what guys are thinking. If a guy can't approach you in a bar because you're with your friends and you're not necessarily looking to talk to a guy that night, and he doesn't know that, but you don't want him approaching you at a bar because that's friend time. Right. And he can't show a place interest in the workplace because workplace dynamics are fraught. You're not allowed to do that. There might be a power dynamic. So 
the workplace is off. And if you can't make a first move, because, you know, uh, certainly in someone's eyes, it's sexual assault if a guy touches you or leans in to touch you without consent first, um, it leads to a moment where men are largely paralyzed by fear. And it leaves women with men who don't know how to take the lead. So you have women sort of waiting for men to make a move and men being being unsure about what kind of move they can make without transgressing some some uh, or violating some unwritten contract. Um, and so I really just try to see it through 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 both lenses, through the lens of my clients, the women who struggle with. I want a guy who's confident and a leader, but I don't want a guy who's pervy and sexually aggressive and puts, puts me in a position I don't want to be in versus these guys are so nice and they're so beta and it's been six dates and he hasn't kissed me yet and I'm not really sure what to do. Like I'm not feeling really attractive or desired right now. That's the other end. So I'm pleading for something here right in the middle that works for men in general and women in general. None of this is to be taken as a defense of men who can't take no for an answer, who sexually harass, uh, who lead with sexual language on dating apps and send inappropriate pictures. This is a defense of men who are brave enough to do what a lot of women have never done and can't necessarily understand. The bravery to go up and ask out a stranger. The bravery to go for that first kiss, to take the lead, to make the move. It's very easy to say what men are doing wrong, right? but until you've been in those shoes, it's really hard to tell them what to do right. So I don't have an answer. I just have a question right? for you guys to think about what is the best way that we can lead men to better outcomes? Because left to their own devices, their testosterone-addled brains, they're not going to just figure it out on their own. And we need to treat them as partners in this endeavor, not enemies, not antagonists, right? But as partners, right? We want to see better men. Let's show men how to act better rather than shaming them because they don't see the world through the same sexual lens as you do. How do we replace this with something healthier where both men and women enjoy the act of sex exploration, they enjoy the act of sex, and it's not fraught with so much um, fear and emotion as it usually is? Because dating done right really can be a lot of fun. So food for thought. I know that was a lot. Thank you for going on that journey with me. I want to close with uh, a love you love story. Uh, I'm a, a writer and I'm a little bit OCD and I'm kind of a pack rat. So I save everything. Every email I ever got from a fan, a reader, every wedding photo I've ever gotten, anything that someone sent to me after reading why he disappeared or going through believe in love or finding the one online or graduating from love you i save it all in one email folder so every week i'm going to share a love you love story with you um, because i think in this world where it is so crazy and chaotic and you don't trust your judgment and you don't trust men and online dating is really brutal it's nice to know that good things happen and they do happen every single day Hi, lovely Evan. I just wanted to say thank you for being a truly wonderful coach and support throughout this last year. I've gained so much from Love You and feel privileged to have participated in all you provide. I'm now in the early stages of a relationship with a man that shows great promise in being a great partner and fit for me. I'm excited about this relationship, which is the first time in a long, long time. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I look forward to sharing more as it evolves. Thank you, Evan. You're a great guy. I have a huge amount of respect for you and your program with love, 
Victoria. Um, all I'll say about Victoria is that she's in, in Australia. Um, she was a delight to work with, very easy client, um, very open, very coachable. And I'm really thrilled that she's getting to see the results of our work together and that she has a great guy and is uh, at the foundation of a new relationship. Um, that's all I got for you guys. Thank you for um, sticking with me. Are you the woman who has everything except a man? You can have the relationship of your dreams and you don't have to change to get it. In Love You, you will gain confidence, let go of unhealthy relationship patterns, learn to trust your judgment, understand and attract quality men, assess long-term compatibility, and create a passionate, unconditionally loving relationship with a partner who puts you first, never lets you down, and always makes you feel safe, heard, and understood. Go to www.evanmarkkatz.com and click on the Apply for Coaching button to get started.